0: Welcome to another episode of the House of African Feminism's podcast series centered around gender justice on the continent. In this series, we'll be reflecting on how gender injustices affect the lives of women and possible solutions. My name is Maureen Wamboi, a Nairobi-based lover of words and communication specialist. And I'm Nyambura Mutani, a
1: writer and multidisciplinary artist based in Nairobi. In this episode, we'll be discussing domestic workers in Kenya and how their situation figures into the place of women in society.
0: To begin with, let's set the stage for what we are referring to when we speak about domestic workers. The International Labour Organization, ILO's definition of a domestic worker is any
1: person engaged in domestic work within an employment relationship. While men also engage in these tasks, they are disproportionately feminized and often constitute informal work.
0: This element of feminization and the unique role of women as employers in this realm drew us to making this episode Some of the challenges and violations faced by domestic workers, including unwritten contracts, low payments, demands for sexual favors, and working long hours, are further complicated by the gender of female domestic workers. The vast majority of the world's domestic workers work in and come from the global south, making domestic
2: work a particular concern for African feminists like ourselves. Most people have someone who helps them in their house with domestic work, right? Um, I think we're very fortunate in this country to be able to uh, afford someone, you know, helping out in the household um, relatively, uh, you know, not expensively.
0: That's Jerry Wagacha, a partner in the corporate and commercial practice at Cliff Decker Hofmeyer, Kenya, Kyeti Law LLP, whose specializations include employment law. She also runs the podcast Njeri Talks Law. We invited
1: Jerry to help us make sense of the legal conditions that make up the labor landscape for domestic workers in
2: Kenya, including the historical context. Actually, I think it's more perception-based. The Employment Act came into force 2007, which is the current modern legislation on employment law. And what they've tried to do, the legislature, is really cover old manner of employees and ensure that employees are given protections. Yeah, um, And then there are separate acts as well for unions, um, Labor Relations Act, um, general wages order. So there is a couple of, of things, uh, of pieces of legislation, not things, um, that cover employment law to ensure that employee rights are protected in this country.
0: During the colonial era, white settlers expected the black Kenyan domestic workers to perform their duties quickly, quietly, and to basically not be seen, heard, or felt. This set of affairs stretches to the present, as seen in Nancy Kashungira's 2019 documentary, The Hidden Lives of Housegirls in Kenya, which is available on YouTube.
1: David M. Anderson's paper, Master and Servant in Colonial Kenya, details how domestic
0: workers were regulated by master and servant laws, which interacted with the Kipande to great effect. An explanatory comma here. The Kipande was a sort of nefarious CV that Africans were expected to bear on their persons in cities and towns especially. It was at once an identity document as well as a record of their job histories and employer evaluations with all those entailed. In a moment that illustrates the reach of the empire in a British
1: colony like Kenya, its registration of domestic servants ordinance was modeled on Hong Kong legislation. This act regulated the movement of servants between employers, ensuring that those lacking satisfactory references of employment will be denied labor permits and forced to return to their home areas.
2: I think, it, I mean, there are t- tens of thousands, uh, probably millions of cases because employees know that their rights are protected under the employment act and so the the employment labor relations court has been extremely busy um and all of the judgments that have come out of the 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 court demonstrate the the determination of the court to protect employees. So actually, employers should be very fearful of suits that can be brought against them for not following the processes under the Employment Act um, for mistreating employees uh, because not only can you um, get um, you know compensation in terms of salary, but you can also get compensation in terms of damages. And so for employers, it's, it could be a very expensive business if you're not treating employees well.
0: In researching for this episode, we looked into some treaties and conventions that grant domestic workers rights with respect to their unique circumstances. In Africa, this includes the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Women in Africa, better known as the Maputo Protocol. Article 13 calls upon states to create conditions to promote and support the occupations and economic activities of women, in particular within the informal sector. And to establish a system of protection and social insurance for women working in the informal sector and sensitize them to adhere to it. While Kenya has ratified the protocol without reservations about
1: this section, the conversations we have had with domestic workers leave us certain that state obligations are yet to be met. Notably, Kenya is yet to ratify the International Labor Organization's Convention 189, which sets global workplace standards for domestic workers. We spoke to domestic workers who are wary of having their names on record, whose work conditions fall far short of the convention standards, especially in terms of their right to privacy, with more and more households in certain areas acquiring surveillance cameras and inadequate rest among many more issues.
0: It became apparent to us pretty fast that this wasn't a uniquely Kenyan or African issue, but rather one that affects the entire world. According to the International Labor Organization, for example, domestic workers are particularly vulnerable to human rights abuses with respect to their working conditions. They often work for excessively long hours with little to no pay and with almost no access to social protections. Globally, on average, 30% are
1: excluded from labor legislation, but a much greater number do not enjoy de facto minimum protection at work. There's clearly a need to go beyond conventions and protocols if domestic workers are to see material
2: changes in their living and working conditions. I think we've all seen the the case of, you know, people who have traveled and then come back in a coffin. You know, that is not the ideal situation. And what we need to do is have the embassies, the Kenyan embassies in those countries, um, enforcing the employee rights if there's a problem. And it needs to be done at the government level. So between the two governments, so that they're making sure that the laws or the bilateral agreements that they've already signed up to are adhered to. And then it's then down to the employers and the employee to make sure that the relationship is sound. Because at the end of the day, there's no forced labor, right? Um, Everyone is going for a better opportunity. And obviously, you know, even when you're working, you're working in order to provide for yourself and for your family. The expectation, therefore, is that you are um, going to be treated well and that you're going to do your work well. And obviously, if the, relation, if the employment relationship breaks down, then, you know, it can be terminated, but it should be terminated in a way that respects both um, the employer and the employee and allows the employee to come back home you know, safely.
0: We asked Njeri about the Employment Act because we were interested in knowing what labor laws apply to domestic workers, especially considering past cases that have highlighted the difficult conditions faced while at work. We were also interested in the remedies available to domestic workers in cases where they seek the intervention of the courts. Domestic workers face the unique situation
1: of having their work closely entangled with the complications of the domestic front. This is often depicted in art and academic considerations of their work, including Alice Childresses, like one of the family, as well as Friend of the Family, Maids, Madames, and Domestic cartographies of Power in South African Art by M. Nilika Jawardane. These texts depict the tensions between the domestic worker's provider of labor and their position as resident of a household or a person who spends long stretches of time in one or several households.
0: This tension often shows up in discussions of domestic work pay, with employers often stating that whatever pay they may offer is fair, even if it's below
2: minimum wage, because they provide housing, food, and clothing, the perception is 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 very poor, especially on on um, the treatment of um, domestic workers generally, um, on the wages that they're paid, um, and and the that, the working hours, etc. But in terms of of um, things that have been done, there is a minimum wage in this country. Um, it's approximately 17,000 shillings per month. And so that is the minimum that all employees should be paid, yeah, on a full-time basis. Um, There's also the fact that all employees need to be registered for NSSF and NHIF. So all of those deductions need to be done um, from the employer. So the employer has a responsibility to do that.
1: The Regulation of Wages General Amendment Order 2022 sets the minimum wage for domestic workers in cities at 15,201.65 shillings a month, 14,025. 5.40 equivalent to $115 per month in all former municipalities and town councils and 8110 shillings or $66 in all other areas this is rarely if ever upheld with most domestic workers lucky to earn more
0: than half of that per month in a recent piece for the republic mumbi kanyogo spoke to ruth kakame who is the chairperson of the national domestic workers council an arm of the Kenya Union of Domestic Hotels, Educational Institutions, Hospitals and Allied Workers, who talked about how many employers used the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic as a pretext to make working conditions worse for their domestic workers. This latent conflict
1: between workers and employers, where so often the employers are workers themselves, plays out every so often on forums such as Twitter. Stretching across the continent and to its diaspora, what is due to a domestic worker is highly contested.
2: I think we need to do a lot more education on, on 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 rights, um, and that's that's employees in general, not just domestic workers. Although we do understand that domestic workers are the most vulnerable, uh, but I think that in terms of dignified, all workers, you know, must be respected. It's it, it, you know, there's dignity in the work that you do with your hands, right? And so we can't take that away from anyone, but what I do think that we can do is work on the rights and also making sure that um, employers who do not treat employees who are you know serving them in in the household in a domestic fashion well are punished um, and uh, you know and you know treated very seriously, and also that minimum wage and deductions etc. all of the entitlements of a, of an employee are adhered to, and I think that's probably where more of the problem is. I don't think. Um a lot of employers, you know, pay the m- minimum wage and a lot of employees don't know what that minimum wage is. Yeah. And so we need to we need to make sure that we are getting that information out there.
0: The law provides for an aggrieved domestic worker to complain to the labor officer or lodge a complaint in the industrial court, which is section eighty-six one C of the Employment Act. However, the state hasn't been proactive in informing workers of their rights. And the atomized nature of domestic work means that many domestic workers have limited access to the remedies afforded by the law.
2: Um, and then also, you know, if, you, if you're traveling and, you know, you're working abroad, there is, you know, Kenya has signed up. To quite a few bilateral agreements with other countries, for example, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, um, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates, in terms of the treatment of um, foreign employees in that country, that is aimed at protecting domestic workers, especially those who, you know, were used to, you know, that that system, the kafala system, where basically, when the minute that you arrive in in into the Gulf, you kind of are at the behest or of um, the employer that you're working for. So it's aimed at curbing that kind of treatment of foreign workers. So there are things that are being done. It's not a perfect system. And obviously, you know, there are cracks in the system. But but I think the law is there. And what we need to do is make sure that it's enforced and make sure that every time there are breaches, that um, exemplary damages are given to employees as a deterrent to um, employers who may think that they you know, they can treat um, employees uh, in the manner that they want.
1: We are particularly concerned about the rights of domestic workers who work overseas in the wake of numerous reports of violence, including unexplained deaths of Kenyan workers in Gulf states. Around 19% of the world's domestic workers live in the Arab states, according to ILO numbers from 2015. And the region hosts the largest number of women migrant domestic workers in the world, estimated at 1.6 million by the ILO. In the same study, though other estimates put the number much higher. The treatment of domestic workers in the Gulf then has consequences for the workers and their families across the globe.
0: The ILO Convention 189 directly addresses the unique concerns of migrant workers. It remains to be seen if states that send domestic workers to various countries will work with those that receive them to ensure domestic workers' rights are adequately protected. So where do we go from here? First, there should be continuous
1: emphasis by the state to ensure that domestic workers' rights are enforced at every level, as laid down in Convention 189 of the ILO and Goal 8 of the Global Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. This would include engaging with employers to sensitize them on the provisions of the Employment Act 2007 and other applicable labor laws with the aim of removing any barriers to the realization of this goal.
0: As policy, domestic workers' should be made fully aware of their responsibilities and rights in a language they understand before any work begins, as well as be subject to salary reviews and advancement opportunities on a rolling basis. Dispute resolution should also be standardized, with clear reporting and investigation mechanisms, as well as providing domestic workers with the necessary legal support. Thank you for listening to this episode of the House of African
1: Feminisms podcast. Our thanks to Njeri Wagacha for her legal insights and Mumbi Kanyogo for the resources and illuminating writing that spoke to our episode's concerns. Please head to the House of African Feminisms website, houseofafricanfeminisms.org, for a transcript of this episode, as well
0: as show notes with links to various resources. This episode was made possible with support from the Gote Institute. We'd also like to give special thanks to Chilufi Chito of House of African Feminisms and Sheila Akwani of Gote Institute, Institute Nairobi. It was produced by Abu Numan at the Soundplace Studios Limited. I've been your host, Nyambura Mutani. And I've been your host, Maureen Womboe.
2: Bye!